Hello, friends, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts with me, Mike Murphy, as always, joined by Tom Urch Jr. Tom, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Mike? I am very tired. Uh, as I told you before the show recorded, or before we started recording, I had a, what's the, a plumbing misadventure, I should say, um, that required... The thing is, like, when a toilet bowl overflows and floods your bathroom... Your instinct, of course, is to accumulate every tally you can after stopping the water flow. But then it's like, well, I just want to burn all these towels now. You know? Uh, will they so, ever be clean again? It wasn't poopy water, thank God. But, yeah, uh, but toilet water in general is, you know, somewhat dirty. But that is, a, had I not known, um, ha, or had we not had this conversation before the podcast, I would have been like, oh, you've been playing your, your Nintendo Switch, playing some, you know, Super Mario Brothers, uh, some plumbing misadventures. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot more, a lot more, a better, better way to spend my day. But that is not at all what happened in the middle of a day where I had a lot of work to do. Um, that happened. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, that, I'm, I'm hanging in there, Tom. We have, of course, this, you know, we're doing a mega show today because there's this all-star uh, break built into the Ranger schedule as well as everyone else's schedule. So, um, but before we, you know, talk about the Rangers getting back in action, we should talk about the, I guess, the all-star part of the all-star break, right? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start, and we can we'll go in like chronological order. You know, we'll just walk sure. through, you know, skills, and we'll touch on the AHL stuff as well. Um, so the way that it worked for me with the skills competition is I watched the beginning uh, with my nephew, um, pretty much fastest skater and the save streak um and then when he had to go to bed i didn't watch the rest of it for the exception of the um elite women's three on three and the um the shooting stars um i eventually went back and we we watched the um the rest the whole thing with my nephew um and my initial thoughts on it were um elite three on three that was the best event um yeah out of everything and it, it was funny because my um, my nephew, he was like, oh, you, you, you're having girls play? I said, yeah. I said, these are you know, some of the you know, the best players from U.S. and Canada. And uh, he was he was sort of interested in, in what it was what it was going to be like. And he his impression was like, wow, they were really fast. And um, and it was interesting because like he watches highlights almost every day after school and he had watched some highlights of the main all-star game first and his impression was like well they really weren't trying in the main all-star game it was cool to see uh you know the women actually trying and you know that that's something that we've come to see that the bigger reason why the nhl all-star game while the three-on-three is a lot better format than it was before when you're not caring even though there's a million dollars on the line it's just like watching paint dry. There's nothing really going on. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's really clear uh, just from, you know, all the years we've watched the All-Star game now. And I know, you know, like like a lot of people who've been around hockey for a long time, it's, it's tough not to get disillusioned with the All-Star game. It is very much a, you know... Nostalgia? 
nostalgia. Um, it's really geared towards really young fans to get them engaged. This idea of all the stars in one place, and um, you know, <laughs> I think everyone has that point in uh, you know their their life as a fan, where it's just like, well, I'd love to see my favorite player in the all-star game but you know what it would be better if he maybe got some rest uh, before the playoff push you know like become more cynical and pragmatic uh yeah but like like you said it's always that thing where it's everyone's playing at like 80 percent and they're playing like 80 percent you know with no physical contact uh, whereas like in the women's three-on-three it was wide open um to the point where the uh the officials didn't really bother to call things uh like offsides uh, which, you know, and, you know, the running clock and everything else. I went on a, a constructive mini rant on Twitter about what I wanted to see different about the three-on-three. Very uh, constructive. At the top of the list is uh, there are women's hockey players outside of North America, Tom. Did you know? I had no idea, Mike. Yeah, uh, including who is hands down the best defender in the women's game, uh, Yini Hirokoski, uh from Finland. She is a... Uh, because uh, she happens to be a woman, there's no guarantee she'll be on the first ballot uh, when she becomes eligible. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 a whole other can of worms we can open on another day. And goal uh, too, if you include like uh, Nora Rati, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, Nora Ratu. Yeah, it's one. It's a tricky one. It's spelled Rati, R-A-T-Y, but because it's got the two little dots over that A, Tommy, you're supposed to say Ratu. That was good. Some pronunciation there. Yeah, you know what? I uh, I try. My brain is like 50-50 men's hockey and women's hockey now. That didn't always used to be the case, but... I, I mean, I should save some room for things like uh, doing things that functioning adults do, but meh. Who needs to do that? Anyway, uh, but yeah, that was that was the highlight to me. I Before the show started, I... Like, my other mini highlight was uh, I love seeing Elias Patterson... Were you told ha, he's 176? I'm pretty sure he's 176 pounds because as I was watching it, my nephew was like, "This guy is so small," and then he takes his <laughs> shot and he's like, "Wow!" Yeah, he looks like he's 13. Like he's just one of those guys who looks so skinny and like not. He isn't filled out like you know how you always hear that in sports, especially with hockey. It's like he's got to fill out his frame. You know, he's just like a, a kid's body, not not a fully grown man. You know, with whiskey on his breath and muscles that we can't even name. But when he hit 102 and he had that little face where he was impressed by his own speed, that was amazing. Because I was like, this kid's made out of, like, spaghetti, like dried spaghetti noodles. How the hell did he rip it, you know, 102? But of course, it is something, it's a fun part of hockey that really we don't talk about enough. Um... Which is why there's, I forget, there's a fun Twitter account that keeps track of um, the gear that players use. Like, you know, yes, I have. Player X is using these gates or that stick. What is it? Do you remember it? I recently followed it. I will fi- I will find it in my um, yeah. following. But yeah, he's a 6'2", 176 pounds, Elias Jeez. Patterson, a.k.a. Draco Malfoy. Yeah, he's 176 after a full dinner, maybe. Um he, he's one of those guys who looks like he's 150 on a good day. But, uh, yeah, the the thing I always have to remember, like, growing up is, you know, they had Al McGinnis take, like, uh, this, the shot where, you know, they set the standard and uh, if anyone beat it, 
some money would go to charity, which is great. I love that aspect of it. I love the the blue stars um, from the past, even though Brett Hull kind of crapped the bed on a shooting star thing, which actually I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> nothing against Brett Hull uh, in particular. I don't. I hate his father, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but the like Al McInnes and you see, I think it's Bernie like, Federico too. Yeah, but the like back in the day, like a wooden stick. Like the thing I was saying when I brought up the equipment thing is the technology in hockey, and how you know modern sticks like they break easily. And we hear you know old guys complain all the time, like ah, back in the day sticks wouldn't break, pop it pop. But the sticks of, t- of today give. You know they, we what is it? Martin Frick had a Martin Frick had a 109 mile an hour slap shot in the AHL star game, and and Weber, what was it? Weber had 106 something, right? Let's see, Shea Weber 106.5. Yeah, and John Carlson had a 104. He had a cannon on him as well. Um, but damn, like uh, someone broke Zdeno Chara's record, which I didn't think was, we're not. I don't think we're gonna have a lot more six foot. Seven, six foot eight, you know, Slovakian giants that, you know, have a career as long as Chara, who's just, uh, it's a, a great line that I love of Jeff Merrick's, which is, you know, he should win the, uh, what is it, the, the, the sportsmanship award. I always forget. Is it's not the what Lady Bing? Yeah, the Lady Bing. He should win the Lady Bing every year, but just because he doesn't kill everyone. Um, you know, he practices with, you know. With strength, you know, he, he he holds back on, you know, pummeling everyone like a like a warlord on the ice. But um, that was my other highlight, really. I always do like the hardest shot uh, contest. I'm kind of a, a dork for that. Oh, you just met? It's Gear Geek Hockey, um, all one, no underscores or anything. Gear Geek Hockey on Twitter is that fun account. Um, that's one of those. That's one of the million things, Tom. I always tell myself, I want to know more about. Uh, tactics. I want to know more about the gear and all that stuff, and I just follow an account, and uh, yeah, I forget things. But uh, we also, what was the... Of course, Crides was there. Were you happy with Crides? I was very happy with Crider. Um, I thought it was interesting before the event. I don't know who the first pe- person to tweet it out was, but they were talking to like the um, competition, and Connor McDavid had said that he thought Crider was going to win the fastest skater. Um, and yeah, I Crider's time of thirteen point five oh nine as the first uh, skater up. I thought that was pretty impressive. I think that whenever you're the first one it's sort of it's not just nerves but okay you know is is the sheet clean you know what's it like going around the angles um because obviously it's it's in an nhl rink so and and it's such a major thing that they're going to make sure everything's good but you know i can just remember from you know like open skates like sometimes you're going around the corner and if it's especially at the rend- the end of the rink where the zamboni door is you can have some like you know chips in the ice where if you catch it the wrong way you know your ass is going to go flying um <laughs> but not a bad score for Kreider. i thought it was impressive and maybe the rest of the league will realize that he is you know a fast skater not just you know when there's a a goaltender in his way oh dear I think you just heard my cell phone go bloopy bloop. Mike's unprofessional. He didn't. Uh, he didn't put it on mute. Um, yeah, Crides was fun. Um, I didn't watch. I watched it all on replay. 
and one I made sure to watch Fastest Skater in particular because I wanted to see how Crides did. I think he finished third actually, just behind McDavid, which is fun. But even more fun, we we mentioned Martin Frick in the AHL. Uh, we, I'll get this out of the way. Vinny Lettieri uh, was the replacement for Igor Shosturkin, uh, you know, as like a representative for, for Hartford. And uh, Vinny had a 97.8 slap shot, so not quite Martin Frick, uh, Shea Weber, but pretty good. And and even more interestingly, Tom, he didn't win fastest skater, but Joey Keane had a better lap time than Chris Kreider. Yeah, he had 13.453, and I saw um, someone had tweeted out after I posted the clip that in the AHL um, competition, you're allowed to um, like extend your stick at the end to stop the clock, uh. but he was still moving pretty fast, and I look at it like this. Everyone that was skating um, in this competition, you're on the same level, so... If you're one of the fastest guys, it's it's still pretty impressive. And yeah, yeah, he might have extended his stick at the end, but just watching him, you know, turn the corners and you know, uh, dead away straight, he was he was booking it. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. Actually, that race was really close, um, uh, but he had the second best time uh, from the east. And uh, yeah, it was. It was a good showing overall for kind of, uh, you know, Rangers, you know, players attached to the Rangers and the Rangers organization. I was, you know, it's it's almost bittersweet in a way to me that we have, we had Crides in this All-Star game because mm-hmm. the other thing I know we wanted to talk about was uh, Larry Brooks's piece, um, which really, you know, <laughs> didn't didn't allow us to uh to bask in the afterglow of, of chris Kreider, uh the all-star very much um which came out actually we're recording this on on tuesday night tom and brooksy's piece came out uh last night late last night i believe right so let's see wow one second i i was literally opening up the article and i got the dumb autoplay audio which oh, I God, hate. I hate that on the post. Yeah, let me make sure I drag this slider down. But yeah, he published this last night at 9.50, so um, I don't get the post delivered, so my guess is that it would have been in um, today's paper. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because on January 14th, he wrote an article with the headline, Rangers' Chris Kreider decision is now obvious. Lock him up. But now it's... January 27th and Brooks says the Rangers have 13 games to go until the February 24th trade deadline and he goes into this uh, talk of how JD and Jeff Gorton really aren't drawing up two sets of contingency plans based on how the team plays and then it cuts to this I can promise you this the Rangers will not keep Chris Kreider through the deadline if he is not signed to a contract extension even if the team runs off a 13 game winning streak Um, he goes on to talk about Faust and the other pending RFAs like D'Angelo and Strom and later down he talks about how those two might get too expensive but yeah bittersweet was the exact uh best way for you to describe it because they're gonna have to make a decision pretty soon and wouldn't it be something if 
coming off this long layoff that they don't show up against the Detroit Red Wings who are on pace to be the worst team in the league this year. That would be that would be something. Yeah, that w- it would be really interesting for them to lay a stinker against Detroit. Um, I agree. It's the there's a bunch of little things from from Brooks's piece that were interesting to me. I mean, he called Jesper a top six forward, which of course technically he is because uh, when Panarin's been healthy, it's been mostly Panarin, Strom, and Jesper Faust. Although, uh, you know, I think it's a bit of a stretch to call him a top six guy. Um, I think on a very good team, he's a bottom six and more likely a fourth line winger on a very good team. On this team, he's, you know, uh, I guess what he's always been, right? He's the Swiss army knife guy. You just kind of put him anywhere you can. Um, You ask him to do things that he might not be great at doing and you'll know you'll always get your, uh, you know, a great effort from him. But there's, you know, Brooks also mentioned, like you said, the, you know, can the Rangers find the room for everything? And specifically mentioning the possibility of, you know, a Henrik Lundqvist buyout or, you know, saying that no one should count on a Mark Stahl buyout. And, uh, dumb. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, and of course, uh, I think he said, uh, you know, Brendan Smith was a maybe, um, which I don't Tom. understand. It's almost as if Tom buying out Shattenkirk and taking six million in dead cap was a bad idea. Pretty fucking stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, you and I, I think of from really the early going to this, were the people who were among the most vocal about like I don't like I I even I remember I wrote a like a lengthy piece on on banter before it happened, and I just explained like cap space is an asset mm-hmm. um, and you want cap space even if you're in a rebuild and um, you don't want to waste cap space because of contracts you might need to sign like I w- it, it was, wasn't something where I had a crystal ball but I was like it just it doesn't seem like a good option but that is of course the option the Rangers took and now you know it's you almost can't make this shit up like they Signed Kevin Shattenkirk to the giant contract, um, which was still a, a bargain, and in my opinion, a perfectly reasonable and good contract, especially in contrast to Jacob Truba. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you sign Shattenkirk, uh, he plays on one kneecap his first season, uh, he gets a very short leash, seemingly um, in what I would just call some a form of prejudice, whether or not his relationship with the coach impacted that or or what have you but you know david quinn felt the need to i don't know uh push him push him and challenge him in that way and uh you know it was something that i think everyone recognized like oh you know there's a lot of things going on on here including the awful defensive system of the rangers that seems to kill any defenseman it comes in touch with like adam fox is too too young and full of potential for it to truly spoil him but everyone else Tom it doesn't it doesn't seem to be helping him, especially in the and, defensive zone yeah and one part of that is almost that I think and but, but actually before I go into that um, I'll just touch on Shattenkirk quickly because some people have 
sort of confused my position. My position with Shattenkirk is the the buyout was always bad, and people have said, well, they had to do what they had to do because they had to um, make things fit financially for the season. My point was always, you make it fit, you make it work, even if you were so so tight against the cap until February, and then. With 18 months left on his deal, you retain half and you trade him to a contender who would have interest in him, um, you know, at three and, and change. And then that's a much better alternative for the final year to have that three and change than the 6.083333 that's on the cap now. And I understand that we can't operate in a, a world where it's like well they had the idea that they wanted to trade for truba therefore you couldn't have truba and shattenkirk and d'angelo and fox and they i didn't mean even know what they had with d'angelo yet that was the other part of what i was gonna say like they've been or fox yeah the rangers have been trying to develop a guy to play on the right side with this offensive upside for pretty much you're in my lifetime like you know, it's it's been a long time since the Rangers had, you know, a that combination. Like, oh yeah, what do we have? We have Brian Leach and Sergei Zubov. It's been, you know, decades since they had two defensemen that good. And um, the f- and I was, I was the final thing I was going to say is it's so ironic that it's like this: you sign Shattenkirk, he gets hurt, whatever. Um, you give him the short end of the leash. You of course part of the trade for Stefan, you get D'Angelo. D'Angelo shows all the warts you would think in terms of, you know, his maturity and all that, but he does show a lot of promise. And then this season it's Jacob Truba, you you lock up for seven years at eight million a year, and you have Tony D'Angelo who, you know, if he had arbitration rights it would have gone to the arbiter, but it didn't. And now you have this situation of like, oh wow, uh, it would be great if we didn't have six million in dead space from the defenseman that Tampa has proven we shouldn't have given up on. It's exactly that. It would be very interesting if they bought out Shattenkirk and it sets off this chain of events and then it creates an opportunity for D'Angelo to showcase what the uh, the Rangers saw in him when they first traded for him to the point where he's played so well that they might not be able to afford him long term. And, and he slips through their fingers. That could really, really happen here. It yeah. It would be really ironic. Right. And I understand that there's there's both positives and negatives to trading D'Angelo. Um, I think it's, if you're the Rangers, you are not going to let one year of Truba sort of sour your impression on on him as a player and that deal. A time may come that they do something with Truba and it wouldn't be next year. I don't think it would be the year after because as we know this is the NHL and teams operate within um you know a certain window and and plans can change in an instant. But um if they were wanted to try and keep D'Angelo and one of the ways they're looking to create space I just find it comical that that Stahl wouldn't be the guy over Smith number one Stahl has the higher salary um and you know the other thing we've been told about Smith 
for the longest time is, oh, he's even more valuable to them now because he doesn't only play defense, but he can play forward too. So that would sort of be like, oh, we were bullshitting you guys the entire time that we really didn't think he was this good. We were just literally had, you know, 4.35 million. We had to put it on, on the book somewhere. And uh, that was the, the best spot for it. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And like, we, I don't say this all to be cynical. I honestly say this because this is a, I mean, no matter which way you look at it, Tom, this is a, you know, like a, it's like a guillotine hanging by a frayed rope. Like, this could go in a way where the Rangers find themselves saying, like, shit, we can't afford to keep D'Angelo. And then it's, you know, mercifully having Fox w- takes that sting away. But if you don't have, not to mention, of course, Nils Lundqvist, um, you know, because that also will help if that's if that's where we end up. But, you know, it's something I, I know I've said on the podcast before, if the Rangers sign you know, D'Angelo to a four-year deal, then they have the right side of their defense locked up for four years. It doesn't leave any room for a Nils Lundqvist, let alone anyone else, let alone Joey Keane, you know, who just flew around, um, you know, the AHL skills competition and is having, you know, the best, you know, teenage season by a Rangers, you know, defensive prospect at the AHL level and I don't even know how long. Um, maybe ever i haven't looked at the numbers completely yet but it's 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 something um especially because we we talk about this kind of uh tangentially but never really just like putting the spotlight directly on it if there's i mean i think we can safely say you know goaltending we have a very general idea of what's going to happen there for the future of the team between igor and georgiev although I think it's more and more likely that Georgiev's gone and it's just going to be Igor. Um, but, you know, with Tyler Wall and Huska, although Huska has had his struggles recently, um, as I wrote about on Radar for Banter. But it seems like all the chips, Tom, for the future of the team are on the blue line, right? Like most of yeah. the chips in terms of building this team, this team is being built blue line first in terms of its prospect pool. And I love that on paper. The, pro- the problem is, Tom, that, uh, you know, something else we should we should have mentioned, I guess, at the top of the show is Leah Sanderson's been loaned uh, to HV71 in the SHL. Uh, but that, of course, I'm mentioning that because, of course, the prospect pool among the Rangers forwards, eh, that's, that's, that. Tom, it's not. It's like the water that was in your bathroom. Yeah, it's, you know what, it's like, it's not revolting. But I, I had to ble- I bleached my bathroom floor twice. Why? Because it's poopy water. You can't trust poopy water. Um, you just can't, Tom. Yeah. Like I told myself, do I want to take the chance? No. Bleach. The power of bleach. Uh, which, by the way, why is beach bleach so slippery? It's like a. It's almost slimy. I don't. I don't understand. There's that. probably some a combination of chemicals that make it. Um sort of somewhat slippery. I don't know. There's probably a reason for it. It's almost like an oiliness. It's hard to describe. Yeah, but the forward prospect pool, if we're going to sort of break it down, because you consider Kako's at the NHL level, so you wouldn't really consider him in the pool. At forward, it's Kravtsov, it's Morgan Barron, 
it's we might um, win a national title this year, by the way, which is fun. It's um, Lori Pajunemi. Um, yeah. It's uh, Carl Henriksen. And who else of real note? That yeah, I, was, I was just about, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was just about to say, and after <laughs> Carl Henriksen, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's we're talking bottom six guys. Like, yeah. Um, and like Pajuniemi is really fun, and Baroner is really fun, uh, but both of them were really late round picks. Like they are both kind of hey that worked maybe it shouldn't good good job scouting the department but it also goes to show tom like uh you know i think the rangers may have it's way too early to to wave a flag of any color on this but i don't know what the rangers think they have in brett howden well that's Um, that's a good point that you bring that up sorry to cut you off but by by virtue of how the season has gone um, or rather these last few years, a lot of those players that they got back in trades who were young players that, oh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Like Brett Howden. Okay. We've not seen a ton of major upside there that could change. Um, but then like Brennan Lemieux, this is, is going to be, you know, with the team. And he's been decent. He provides a spark he looked a lot better um last year when when they first acquired him than he was on paper like i I can remember when that trade happens people were sort of like well lemieux wasn't really doing much in winnipeg and he came over and then this year he has been promising but he's like a bottom six guy and then you look yeah. at Heedle, who is someone they drafted, who you have top six upside and potentially, you know, first line upside. So, and then when you consider Anderson's over in Sweden, that was someone who they had high hopes for. It becomes very thin. And that's something that they need to consider at the deadline because if you can trade some of these players and you can build up that pool that you've been dipping or been taking from. You're gonna you're gonna need more scratch offs because this team's gonna get to a point where, you know, uh, Zabanajad's gonna get one year older in April, and he'll he's inching towards the end of his deal, and you know, before you know it, these players who were young at the start of this process, they're the veterans, and then you need to be able to backfill. Yeah, I mean, and like just to kind of go down. You know, just as a, you know, I guess you can call it like a thought exercise, right? Like, let's start, let's start with the obvious one. Uh, to me, it's like, all right, you ha- you got D'Angelo back in, you know, the the step on trade, which so many people point to, uh, you know, the start of everything. Although, you know, other people say it was really the year before with the uh, Zabanajad Broussard. So either way, whatever you want to say, um, Nick Holden trade. We got Rob O'Gara. Uh, we didn't qualify Rob O'Gara. He's gone. Uh, Grabner trade Igor Rikov. Um, I, his injury this year really derailed, you know, evaluating him effectively. But he had a solid year um, for a really bad KHL team last season. And, you know, he seems to be kind of steadying things out in Hartford a little bit. But it's hard to tell because Hartford... Uh, the Rangers have effectively <laughs> stripped Hartford's two best players from them this year with uh, Igor and uh, Philip Hedl. 
and then the other guy uh, left the team and is in Sweden, so uh, chaotic and hard for it to say the least. Um, the Rick Nash trade, Tom, we got, in terms of the kid, we got Ryan Lindgren there. Ryan Lindgren's fine. Like, I, I won't elaborate past that. Uh, and then, of course, the trade where the Rangers gave up the most, um, you know, we talk so much about the step-on trade is so essential to the rebuild, Tom, but Rangers giving up their captain, Ryan McDonough, and JT Miller, a young player with potential and upside. They get back Vlad Nemestikov, which they turned into nothing. They get back Lieber Hayek, who I think has been a disappointment. I think we can say that at this point. Even even with the unfortunate inj- injuries, I still think you can say he's been a disappointment. Get back Brett Howden. Uh, ditto. And... Yeah, um, obviously the picks there as well. And then in terms of like the actual younger guys who came over, you mentioned Brennan Lemieux. He's been exactly what we thought he would be, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you we could mention Julius Bergman, uh, who was the body that the Rangers got from Columbus in the Adam McQuay trade, but he went over to Sweden and everyone knew who he was going to even before the Rangers acquired him. So Tom, it's not... It's just not a lot, Tom. <laughs> so, like, uh, these young guys, it is really interesting to me to see what happens with the deadline and the need to target those young forwards because, like I said, I like, like, however we get to the future of the defense three years from now, like, it's going to be going through the jungle, right? It's going to be crazy. But there's enough quality there that I'm not terribly worried about it. You know what I mean? Like, Dahl's contract is going to go away. Brandon Smith's contract is going to go away. Um, Oh my God, Truba's contract scares me. Brady Shea's situation still makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, I'm so confused about D'Angelo. In my head, I'm like, just play him on the left side. Fuck it. Lock him up. But I think there's enough young guys there with Keandre and Nils Lundqvist and even Joey Keane now. Like, it'll be okay. The forwards, I'm not so sure, Tom. The forwards is what makes me really, really curious, um, especially, especially because like even before Leah Anderson's situation this season, I still felt like the Rangers had a weak prospect pool. I, was, I remember being surprised that they were graded so favorably in terms of farm systems. You know, with uh, like Pronman and everyone, I was like, okay, I mean. I mean, it's really fun to see now, like, yeah, Igor is this good, and I get it, but he's also not, like, a kid kid. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I guess... He's a pro. Um, So, yeah. Uh, It's it's interesting to me. I mean, I I didn't think we'd be harping on about this, because I know we're just going to do a a mega show tonight, but... Yeah. It's it's a lot, Tom. It's a a lot to consider, because it's crazy to think that we are... I mean, trade deadlines... Just around the corner, 13 games. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say, and then it will sort of lead into the um, the questions segment because I know people have asked a couple of questions, you know, relating, um, you know, trade deadline. In many ways, this deadline and this upcoming offseason is probably going to be the most important of any of the ones that are coming up. And the reason I say that is that in many respects, you are taking stock of what you have, what money you have, 
and you're making decisions to 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 spend in a sense of you mentioned that okay after next year Hank's contract is done Stahl's contract is done Brendan Smith's contract is done um but you'll have Buchnevich who's an RFA Heedle who's an RFA Howden who's an RFA Lindgren who's an RFA and so on and so forth go down the list you're making the decisions on players at this deadline, this offseason, who you don't feel are in the picture so that you, A, have the money to extend those RFAs when the time comes, and also giving yourself the flexibility to go out and add. And Adam had a, a small thread on this um, this afternoon, and I, I think there's some truth to it that the Rangers may have a, a sell-off at the deadline, but it wouldn't be all that surprising if after that they go into ad mode as well because at some point you're putting the pillars down of your roster. You have Panarin locked in as your top-line winger. You pretty much, it's looking like Shishirkin's going to be the guy you put in as goalie and you go on down the list. Oh, yeah. So you don't want to wait and piecemeal add it. You want to have a definitive plan of, okay, when this when this guy comes up, we're going to offer him this contract and we're going to look to fill this spot. And I mean, part, part of it will change because obviously as expansion draft comes up and it's another if it's, fun, it's a huge monkey wrench in all of this. You know what I mean? The, uh, yeah. The, the Seattle is like, oh yeah. And just in case, you know, all this careful planning, uh, you know, is all put in place. Guess what? Uh, it's going to go bad. Um, you, don't, you don't know. There's this goddamn joker in, in the deck. You never know. Yeah. So I think the best way to divide these two shows is this is where we're going to put the spot for our ads. And then when we come back after this break, we are going to um, go right into uh, bannering points and... Uh, I think that's what we're going to do. What do you think, Mike? I love the idea. I say we do it. Gun's hot. Goose is loose. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to those ads. And, uh, yeah, like we but said... But first, Tom, before Mike forgets, I'm going to read our favorite sponsors, our patrons. See, see that, Tom? That's a couple of years of uh, podcast experience for you. Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Armiel Kistner, Andre Chikagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Ben Pierney, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Beebe, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trignano, Chris O'Connor, Clark Carroll, Craig Lachlan, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, George Littman, Goth Tom, 2020. Man, I really want to... I want to put black lipstick on you Tom and a choker it's not necklace. gonna happen and spike up your hair not gonna happen have you ever owned a wallet with a chain on it yes it was a Led Zeppelin wallet with a chain that's fucking that's hot as hell uh, Igor Soslovsky James Dangles Jeff Waywitka <laughs> I told myself I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't gonna react to Jeff Waywitka this week but it happened uh, Jermaine Francis John Reppy Jordan Sassone Keith Franchillo Cushtastic Kyle Napolitano, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landold, Perennial Powerhouse, Stieg Bjoldback, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tidman, Toy from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all very, very much. And Tom, I want to see D Goth Tom get your act together. I want 
black fingernails. I want black lipstick. I want some Edgar Allan Poe poetry books under your arm. Quote the Raven Nevermore. Yeah, I want it all. I went through a hardcore emo phase as a kid. I was never, I never dressed up though. I always just dressed like a beach bum. Um, but yeah, I had longer hair. Then I went bald, and uh, life drained me of all of all joy and purpose. <laughs> now, like this may sound like a stupid question to ask someone who's bald, okay. um, but say say you didn't you didn't have to be bald. Would yeah. you prefer to have hair, or is being bald a look that you've just come to like and know, and you like the hassle of not having, you know, hair? This is advice I give. I've given to a couple of my friends um, and a couple of people I know. Where, uh, if I see they're fighting a losing battle with thinning hair, I always just say, "Just shave it off." It's the best feeling in the world to just embrace it and be like, "Fuck it." It's because here's the thing. Most people, I think, can pull off being bald just fine, um, regardless of gender. I think. I think it looks good on a lot of people. Um, you know, so long as you don't have like, you know, horrible tattoos you're trying to hide, or you know, like a conehead situation, like you're gonna be fine. The thing is, Tom, I hated going to the barber. I used to go to Supercuts, and I hated it. And because I'm a freckly mess, this is a story I remember from my childhood. I'll never forget. I used to sit in the chair, and like on two different occasions, the barber would like. Like, say, who washes your hair? Is it you or your parents? And I would be like, uh, my parents. I was really young. And, like, <laughs> he talked to my dad after. And I was like, Dad, what was that about? And he said, oh, he thought your scalp was filthy. But <laughs> he's Italian, so he didn't know that your scalp was just covered in freckles. And I was like, oh, that's fun. So he thought I was... <laughs> I was, I was the kid from Peanuts with flies all over him. What is his name? Linus? I don't know. Um, yeah. What, Pigpen? That's it. Thank you, Pigpen. Linus played the piano. Um, no, Linus had the blanket. Schroeder played the piano. Oh, I didn't watch Peanuts. I know Woodstock and Snoopy and Charlie Brown. So that's something that I actually watched, and I forget there was something that you asked me if I watched, but, you know, it, you it go, works Tom. out. Different strokes. Um, but, yeah, it it's... If I had a choice, honestly, I just... I don't care. Uh, being bald's easy. I just shave my head twice a week in the shower. I don't even pay attention now when I shave my head. I just do it without even thinking. I could very easily slice my head open. I don't, I don't care. Well, that's not fun. It's no fuss, no muss. You don't have to deal with anything. You well, I'm talking about the, like the slicing of the head open. That wouldn't be fun. Eh, you know. I don't do it. I've like, every, maybe once every three years I'll nick my head, but uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty drama free time. You should try it. Shave that mf off in the summer, or grow it out and be goth Tom, one or the other. One of these days, maybe we'll experiment um, with one of the extremes. But I actually Mohawk remembered Tom. something this week. What's that? I remembered to check my email and for uh, a Patreon question. Oh yes. I think it was a Patreon question because it was forwarded from Joe to you and then you to me. And the Joe subject doesn't forward it to you and me because even when he's not part of the show anymore, he's still the worst part of the show. 
Yeah, which stay tuned. There is a question about that. Um, there is a question, question about that, yeah. The question comes from our friend Mike. Hello, Mike and Tom. What would it take for the Devils to trade for Gorgiev? Thanks, Mike Strum. I don't know if the Devils would trade for Gorgiev because they're they're not quite as far along as the Rangers are in their rebuild. And they have two very good elite potential young centers in Jack Hughes and uh, Nico Heischer. Um, and you look at some of the other pieces they have on their team, you know, there, there's potential there, but you're not going to trade for someone like Gorgiev, who is more of a team that is more put together and is looking to have someone step into that role, or you have a team that has a veteran goalie and you're looking to add on Gorgiev to potentially develop into that role. So what would it take? I, I, I don't know because I don't know if they would entertain that, especially because they fired Ray Shiro and they have an interim coach and they're still trying to decide what um, mode they want to go into. That's such a good point you just raised, though, that because I know, you know, brainstorming in, you know, Adam wrote his story about places where Georgiev could land, and I actually mentioned the Devils, uh, you know, as a potential landing spot because, like, they need a goalie, but that's such a good point, Tom, because, like, yeah, they need a goalie, but they need tomorrow's goalie. They don't need today's goalie, right? Like, it almost, really, they might just be better off just with a placeholder or just, you know, riding Blackwood into the ground and helping him, you know, letting him, you know, be, break all the ice and then let the other ships follow him because it's, it's tough, um... You know, the Devils are going to have to take a serious look at what they have after those two really young, promising centers you mentioned. Um, and, that, like, Jesper Bratz, obviously young and good, and uh, there's potential there. But I think, you know, last I looked, their better prospects are D. They don't have a lot of good non-roster forward prospects if memory serves. And I feel like that is the only thing they would give up to the Rangers. Um, you know, I think one of their, one of their kids is, uh, Joey Anderson. He's a former third round pick. Um, he's an undersized guy. Um, he's 21 now. So, um, I think he's, this is his second year in the, in the AHL, I think. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, he's he was a uh, the captain of uh, the World Juniors team in 2018. Actually, he had a big a big tournament. But um, it's it would be a I guess you could start the talk there in a draft pick. But the thing is, the Devils are going to want their draft picks, Tom, for all the reasons you said. Yeah, I mean the Devils, and we'll go on to our next question. Um, the Devils need to find their own version of Spencer Knight, a really great goalie prospect who is going to develop a little bit and then come along uh, at the right time. Who knows? Maybe uh, the Panthers will stupidly trade uh, another good young talent away. Um, But we'll we'll see. And that's uh, something to visit on another day. Uh, Next question from Alex Khalifa. Does the three-on-three divisional all-star format need a change? 
yes, it yep. does. Um, we touch upon that a little bit towards the beginning of the show. It's become rather bland and stale. And interestingly enough, they had, uh, in his like annual State of the NHL address around All-Star Weekend, uh, Gary Bettman had talked how they're looking to having sort of an international flavor for next year in Florida. Um, you know, maybe we'll see like a return of North America versus the world, or maybe we'll have, you know, something like a world cup of hockey vibe for the, the three on three tournament. Um, but yeah, something needs to change because they're not trying, even though they can win a share of a million dollars. It's just boring. It is boring, right? It just, like to me, uh, like give me an outdoor game with um, like an international sized rink, like true pond hockey. Give me, God, give me <laughs> something that's fun. And uh, like for me, the thing I, uh, the big thing I wanted, um, you know, I I want the young stars game back. Like that's more entertaining to me than you know for a litany of reasons. You and I talked about. I know with like Ovechkin and you know suspending players like that like who don't want to go and that to me is that just such a shitty shitty situation it's like this guy has paid his dues he's gone to a hundred of these he doesn't want to go so like why not like put a spotlight on the future of the sport and have you know the all-star weekend be primarily about a a young stars game and let the veterans do the skills competition stuff where no one's going to get hurt it's fun. Maybe Ovi comes out for the skills competition, you know, as opposed to playing in a game that doesn't matter. But, like, make it so, like, you know, I love the charity stuff this year. Make it that. Make it that the angle. It's like, you know, whoever wins this or, you know, if you, you do it under this amount of time, you can win 50K for your favorite charity, something, anything. God, anything but what they have. <laughs> I don't know. Fucking have a, a bunch of penguins on the ice. That would be a better solution than what they have. Polar bear. Have a polar bear with a muzzle on, Tom. Um, it's the, the rogue agent in the game. Just to throw a wrench and stuff. I agree. Um, question comes from Tweets by Phil. I recently got this NYR Winter Classic jersey... Um, it being the one from when they played the um, the Sabers, what is your favorite stadium series or Winter Classic jersey? Um, I hated the Chrome Stadium Series jerseys. Did I? Um, burn them with fire. Awful. I did. I was not a huge fan of the um, Winter Classic jerseys when they played um, the Flyers. I, it was just. It didn't. It. I didn't really like it that much. I love the most recent Winter Classic jersey, and I would love to take elements of that um, and merge it with the Heritage jersey, and I think that would be a jersey that they should just wear, you know, as a home jersey if they ever did replace, you know, the classic blue shirt, or just be their new alternate. I completely co-sign with you. I love the most recent one, too. There's a couple little elements to it I might change, but I, do, I like that a lot. I hated the stadium series jerseys. Um, yeah. The thing with it, like, we, we had fun with uh, Shana did, like, the worst sweaters thing around Christmas time. Looking back at 
you know the Rangers jerseys over the years and I wrote something that I, I found my you ever do that thing where you start writing something Tom and you like you agree with yourself and you're like you know what that's a good point <laughs> I, I did time. that I did that with uh, like there are some teams like especially the original six teams where you don't want to stray too far from your bread and butter because it begins to look like sacrilege right like it gets but for whatever reason to me maybe it's just because i was a kid when it happened the 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 liberty jersey it was just but it was such a gimmick and it was just new yorky enough where it's like okay okay but like god damn it those jerseys in the the esposito era jerseys were just a Goddamn disaster. I have one of those, actually. Why? Why would you have one of those? It was a Christmas gift. It's actually a Phil Esposito jersey. <laughs> I think well, I was like 13 or 14 when I got it. Well, I wish it was around when I was cleaning up poopy water. <laughs> Poop water joke, folks. It's it's a callback because my life was literally soaked in shit. <laughs> literally to death. Uh, Tweets by Phil has another question. Oh, two questions from Phil. With Leah Sanderson being loaned to HV71, will we ever see him in a Ranger shirt again? I'm 50-50 on this one because I tweeted it going way back. Um, It might have been once he um, originally left the pack. And I said to myself, "Is how different would things have been if he didn't get hurt at the world juniors and he had returned to finland in or rather well returned to sweden instead of uh staying in north america what would his development have been like so if he can sort of get back into a groove with um you know hv71 and he can love playing hockey again and he's just feeling comfortable and healthy i wouldn't rule out them giving him the opportunity to come back and uh, you know um make amends you know so to speak um not not that we know the full situation of what went on or you know um but i wouldn't rule it out i mean before this i think we talked about this the last show too that we might have said you know what he's as good as gone but yeah I'm, i'm not feeling the same way you know anymore yeah i think the the odds of him being in a rangers jersey again one day are much higher than they were before. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're very high. I would yeah. I would place it like at 30% right now. Um, and that might be being generous. It just... Uh, without knowing what the tone of the conversations have been like uh, with between him and John Davidson and um, where Elias is in terms of his you know, personal life, how comfortable he is, like he may not want to come back with the Rangers, even if, even if it's like, well, Leas, here's the thing: it's it's the Rangers or nothing. Like you have to get back. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to Hartford for sure. That's um, fair, but I I just don't think the Rangers proper are very likely. It's a good point. I didn't think of it in that respect. Um, but that's something we'll see. And just as at least for now, good that he's um you know skating again and he's in an environment where he's happy. Um, Next question from Tim. 
Do you guys think that Rangers management will want to move on from Lindy Ruff? In doing so, the team will have to learn a new system, thus causing growing pains. We all know they need it, which could set the team back. I don't know. Perhaps I'm just being too cynical. Um, I don't think you're being cynical, and I think that it raises an interesting point that, you know, if they change directions, they would need to learn something new, but... I don't think what they would be trading up is something that they would regret losing because in a sense, what they're doing right now is not going to help them win hockey games for the long term. So you're going to have to teach them anyway. And we might see significant roster turnover to the point that you're going to be teaching new players a system, so why not just teach the whole group at the same time? Yeah, and the other part of this to me is, one, they're professionals. They've seen almost every system at this stage of the career, even if they're kid kids, like even if they're 18, 19. It's not like you're suddenly going to be trying to teach them, like, you know, physics, like advanced placement physics, even though they've never, you know rolled a matchbox car around and understand how force works but uh yeah i i think they may say it'll be a period of adjustment but if this front office and this organization isn't looking at this and saying this isn't working then we should be a lot more concerned about that than any potential growing pains of a change um it's i think it's self-evident this has to change with uh the defensive structure and uh, you know, Lindy Ruff, you know, this team has had plenty of scapegoats in terms of players on the ice, and sometimes you get scapegoats off the ice. And um, when you're a scapegoat off the ice in New York, it's really hard when you're the head coach. Uh, but really, it's I don't think it's, it's quite as hard when, you know, like essentially it's just hockey Twitter that's, you know, grinding their teeth about Lindy Ruff and the dis- defensive systems. And I just think it's not... You don't see a lot of assistant coaches get booed, Tom. You know what I mean? In in rinks. So I don't know how much pressure there is there. But I would welcome the growing pains because they would be towards growing. You know what I mean? Like, it would at least be a different direction. And it's because I think we've gone in this direction all we need to under Lindy Ruff. It's time for something else. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say on that is Lindy Ruff is one of the most experienced individuals in hockey. He played 691 games and he's been a coach in the league since, you know, 93-94. So it's it's a point of that you look at the coaches that the Rangers had previously. Bukaboom lasted a season. Samuelson was what? Two or three seasons. So it's it's even not so much that Ruff is a scapegoat. It's that he's just held the position longer than anyone in recent memory has garnered really bad results. So it comes a point where, you know, you got to move on and you got to make a change. Yeah, exactly. It's the thing is he's had by any stretch the like by any definition you have he's had a successful coaching career like he's been around a long time and he's had success it just I think sometimes you do have to look at change for the sake of change even if you know there are things that the organization might like about Lindy Ruff I just don't understand 
you know, why he's still here um, for for a litany of reasons. It is it's tough though. Um, I hope we see it happen. I hope it happens in the most amicable way where uh, no one feels like they got screwed. But yeah, it's it's self evident to me. You know, we talked on the show about how much how much has been invested in the future of this blue line, Tom, with these prospects and picks. You you probably want someone who'll take it in a developing and sound fundamental defense direction. I don't know, Tom. Yeah. And letting and young, if, skilled, speedy defensemen demonstrate that speed and skill? I don't know. Yeah, and if we want to be fair, he was an Elaine Vigneault hire, and if anything, if, if Quinn were not a rookie NHL head coach... Ruff probably doesn't survive. He was the holdover as, you know, I'm going to be the, you know, the sage, you know, uh, old veteran who will give you wisdom and I'll be able to, you know, confide in you when you're, you know, having your struggles and and stuff like that. But, you know, after two seasons... He's Obi-Wan, but guess what? Obi-Wan got cut in motherfucking half by Vader. Although, I guess he just turned into a force ghost, but still... We have our next question from Even Yoda. Yoda's riding around on Luke Tom. What happened to Yoda? He fucking d- disappeared too. Spoilers. This is from nineteen. I know, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, next question, James Bunn. Uh, do you think the Rangers will give an ELC to Miller and Laurie Paginemi for next season? I think Miller will stay in college another year. Ooh, so you think that? Do you? Yeah, um, if not for anything else, that we still don't have a clear idea of what the left is going to look like. So until that decision is made, he he may want to wait. But obviously, stranger things have happened. And then Paji and Emmy, um, I think they'd I think they'd want to have him in Hartford. Sign him. Yeah, he's over twenty. Sign Do him. Do it. Uh, that's that's where I stand. Um, I, I, uh, let him keep the know. helmet. Here's the thing. To, yeah, I like keep the gold helmet. Here's you raise an interesting point about that left side. You may have convinced me, even though you didn't even make a strong argument. You just said something. I mean, we haven't seen Rikov yet with your mouth and it, and it's all of its words that are in there with that mouth of yours. They said they may not buy out Stahl. Yeah. You still have Smith. There's there's Hayek. Still have Shea and Hayek and Lindgren. There's so much on the left and so much of it is just placeholding crap. Ugh. I mean, you got fools on the left, jokers to the right, and we're stuck in the middle <laughs> with you. Stuck in him. But here's the thing, Tom. I want Keandre Miller. He's sweet boy. I do, too. We need nice a good things. weekend. We need nice things on this goddamn team. We need things to give us hope. Help us, Keandre Miller. You're our only hope. He is really our only hope. God damn, I love that kid. Question from Andrew Metric. Is Bolesky a better fourth line option over Haley? Yes, because at one point, Bolesky could score goals and be an effective four checker, and Michael Haley has been a enforcer slash energy guy for the majority of his career. Uh, I think that a cosign on that. Um, Bleski has 13 goals in 39 games in in Hartford this year, Tom, which actually I think makes him 
the tied for second highest scoring player on Hartford with uh, Phil D. Giuseppe in terms of goals, and then it's Fogarty. Um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I don't think that one's much of a question, just because, like, obviously, it's a good question. I just think the reason things panned out this way is how tight things were on the cap, and Haley was nothing on the cap, and Blesky actually still carries, you know, some of that cap hit. But the problem is, like, the Rangers told themselves they needed Michael Haley to protect the kids, and then they don't play the kids, Tom. Yeah. They seem to do a lot of that double speak. I didn't really answer your question, I'm sorry, listener. But uh yeah, I, I think it's Bleski would be a better option. Um, you know, and I I mean, for that matter, I think you could comfortably say the same of Bunievis and you know, Stephen Fogarty and, you know, Tim Genninger, uh Phil De Giuseppe as well, like and Daniel Regan. Like, I've become a Daniel Regan fan just because of, you know, how well he's played in Hartford, although his production did very much slow down. But you know what? I still like him. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he'd be a much more, um, much more gooder hockey player. Panera in 2020 asks, when do we think Igor gets called up again? Right My away. guess would be... Um, Probably tomorrow or Thursday. Yeah. I would assume that there's salary cap reasons why they're delaying it um, as long as possible, but I would expect that he comes back up, especially because the um, the pack called Huska back up and they had released um, the goalie that I think it was Brassard who was on a PTO, which to me would suggest that Igor is going back up, so I would say within the next day or so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's just one of those things they put him back down there to keep him, keep him active, keep him working um, during the break. You know, I know Larry Brooks wrote that you know he he sees the Rangers carrying three goalies for the kind of foreseeable future up into the deadline, and uh, I'm inclined to believe that is also what's going to happen. I just think that's. You know, for better or for worse, that's where we are with this situation. Um, you know, and it's really unfortunate to specifically uh, Alexander Georgiev, but professional sports, Tom, sometimes you get stories like this where it's like, you know, is, so Georgiev might be being, you know, punished for, for for being good at what he was supposed to be good at. It's kind of it's kind of what happened here. Question from James Soriano. With Eli Manning retiring, does Henrik see the writing on the wall and ask to be moved or retire? So, I don't think he asks to be moved. If anything, I would think Henrik looks at Eli as someone who was uh, an icon in the city. He was one of the more consistent uh, you know New York sports stars in the sense of he always had the same personality he always had this same sort of um, you know candor and professionalism about him you know it helps that he won two Super Bowls and while Hank obviously wants to win a Stanley Cup I personally wonder if he sort have resigned himself to the fact that 
he may not have the opportunity to win one or it is not as important um, as he once thought it would. Um, and I think you look at any major sports star that spends their entire career with a franchise, that's something that's special. Um, you know, being an icon for... Because I think of it in a sense of like, look at Brodeur leaving the Devils and playing a scant few games with the St. Louis Blues and just how, like, strange that is. And yeah. I don't think Hank wants to do that. It's a it's a weird... It's for, for players who mean as much as they do, especially because although we're becoming... I think we're getting used to, you know, the salary cap age and stars moving around. You know, I, I know I've mentioned, like, LeBron James... Uh, before it's like you know a superstar who's played for you know a whole bunch of teams um we see it a lot in the nba uh we've seen it also in the nfl especially with guys like uh you know in skill positions like wide receiver and running backs um but in the nhl you know a lot of these guys grew up with you know a world in a, a hockey landscape where if you're a star player you're just on that team it's very rare for you to move around unless there's a contract dispute or a big trade and you know, it wasn't uncommon for guys to play for one or two teams, but like true, like think of all the, you know, this, like Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackick and, you know, these guys who were just these fixtures um, and we're not going to see a lot of those moving forward, Tom. Um, you need only look at the Rangers roster. Someone as good as Artemi Panarin should have never <laughs> been able, allowed to get to the free agent market and he was traded and a free agent. Rangers are his third team. Uh, but with Lundqvist, it's such a it's such a personal decision for him. Like you said, what matters to him more? The chance, a chance at another cup run with no guarantees or this idea of a, you know, a, a I don't want to say spoiled because that's a very strong word, but a tainted legacy where, yeah, much like the Birders situation, it's, it's just awkward. It's it's a weird final chapter, right? Where you have this guy who's... It's impossible to divorce him from this franchise. And to think of Henrik Lundqvist playing elsewhere is... It's really tough for some Rangers fans. Imagine how tough it is for a guy like Henrik who has fallen in love with the city that fell in love with him. Like this... He's from, you know, Are Sweden. And he's he loves Sweden. And he calls it home during the offseason. But he's he's a New Yorker, like, through and through. I don't think this is a decision he's going to make lightly. And that's why I think he's going to... I think the most likely scenario is he'll stay here through his contract, and I know he wants another contract after this. And that might be when he goes elsewhere. I just don't think it'll be a trade. Yeah, I think in my heart of hearts that... And it's not it's not just the team. It's not just the city. It's... It's what fulfills you as an individual in the sense of he takes great joy of participating in the charity work of Garden of Dreams. He takes great pride in the charity work of his own foundation where he's able to help young children, help individuals, even be a mentor to um, young children in, in the sense of being um, giving back to others and, and you know doing things the right way where I think he wants to see that through with the Rangers and may may is there a possibility he does one year somewhere else 
I, I truly believe that's a possibility, yeah. but I think at the very least he'll see his contract through with the Rangers. He'll see how close they are and he'll ask himself, if I stay one more year, do I feel that this team as constructed, if we make it into the playoffs, do we have a shot to win? And if if they do, he'll, you know, lace them up for one more and then that'll be his uh his last hurrah of sorts. But I think how the Rangers approach this deadline and how they approach this upcoming offseason will tell us how they feel about the team. And, um, you know, through that process, it'll affect how Hank views his um, his situation. Yeah, it's an intensely personal thing. Like, he has all the control. He's earned the right to have all the control. Like, I... I don't envy his position. Like I, w- I would love to be in the. I'd love to have his paycheck, um, but I wouldn't love to have to make the decision of, do I uproot my life, my family, everything I know, about my career, uh, in terms of professional hockey in North America, um, for a chance at winning a cup, when, I mean, it would be a real shame if Henrik Lundqvist retired, Tom, and felt like he didn't do everything he had to do in hockey just because he didn't have a cup and a cup ring because he's done it he's done it all to me like I think the Stanley Cup is one of those things where either you know some guys play one or two seasons in the NHL they end up as a fourth line grinder on a cup team right it's it's a crazy crazy luck of the draw chaos thing it has just as much to do with that as anything else so i don't know it's tough next question uh from richard should the rangers look at gallant to be their next head coach um it's interesting gerard gallant is a very talented coach and i don't know why Vegas decided they needed to fire him but I think by the time that the Rangers need a new coach he'll all be off the market Uh, I think so too Um, I also think do I think the Rangers should look into it yes will they no Uh, that's kind of my ultimate bottom line take here is I don't think they're going to look beyond uh, David Quinn just yet I think he has uh, you know still plenty of leash so yeah that's what i would guess next question comes from greg buckley with truba and fox being long-term options on the right and keenan lundquist is likely right-handed options next season does that make a tony d trade likely especially given he's up for a big payday soon and his value is as high as ever I would say we touched upon this towards the um, the beginning of the show, but as a brief refresher, I think he's done a lot of good things this year. Um, he's going to cost a lot of money. And uh, you have to th- does he does he stay or does he go? Do they sign him or is he traded? Let's do that. Let's I think I think they trade him. Ooh, see, I think that too. I think that too, and that would make. Yeah. It's it's going to be a huge story, whatever happens with D'Angelo, because everyone in the league now knows what this guy is capable of. So, yeah. 
We have another question from Tim. Who's worse at pronouncing names, Joe Fortunato or Orion Mead? Joe Fortunato. When, yeah, when the question is who's worse at something, the answer is always Joe Fortunato. Joe is worse at spelling words. Um, he's worse at saying them. Tyler Seguin. Yeah, I'll never forget Tyler Seguin as long as I live. Keep in mind, this was like maybe 16, 18 months ago. Like, it's not like Tyler Sagan was in his second season of the league. He's an established superstar. Tyler Seguin? Joe? Yeah, there's a lot that it's just like... And I'm not going to go through them all because I'm not going to, you know, embarrass a man that can't come on a podcast to defend himself. But, yeah, that was a really bad one. I'll embarrass him. He just... He's bad at names. Lord knows I love the man, but he's a, he's a big pile of poopy water. That's what he is. And we have a question from Clem Fandango. Hey, Mike and Tom. When do you feel NYR will need to stop selling off pieces and resign their older core? For example, Mika will be 28-29 when his contract ends. Do you think NYR should extend him to a 7-8 year deal or continue to trade UFAs around then? Thanks and keep up the good work. Going to have to see how the, everything falls in place is my my gut reaction, but I I would be really surprised if this is Mika Zerbenajad's last contract with the Rangers, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that right now they don't have any internal candidates who have shown enough to the point where you would uh, take the risk, but I definitely think that we're moving to a place where someone like Zibanejad, who theoretically might have been getting a six-plus year deal is now probably moving more to that four or five year range um but again there's still still time to tell with that as to the beginning part of his question when do we feel they need to stop selling off pieces joe hit the nail uh, hit the nail on the head with his his last story that the rangers really should sell off one more time and i consider that this trade deadline um and free agency during that period you're literally pushing out of the organization what you feel is not going to be a part of your future and you start putting in your building blocks and then you're allowing yourself the financial flexibility to as things come up okay i'm going on a run i need to add an impact player i still have you know a couple of assets and cap space that i can make this a reality yeah, that's, that's where I stand, too. I feel like it goes, you know, with everything with what Brooks wrote, I mean, we've been saying it for a while now, this is a deadline, this, and you said something interesting earlier in the show, Tom, where you said, like, they need to nail this one. Like, this is, might be the most important one, and I think it really could prove to be, because, you know, when I went down the list of the the young bodies that got back, like the prospects, you know, I know it's a stretch to call Rob O'Gara prospects, but, uh, you know, like, looking at what they got back, like, they need to get a good return on, you know, what they do here. Um, because in many ways they said, hey, you know what? With the Jacob Truba situation, we're going to take one of the first-round picks we got um, and say we'd rather have Jacob Truba. So that was a, you know, a, a turning in a slightly different direction. You know what I mean? That's a roster body. That's a huge contract. Mm-hmm. That's a foundational piece of the team, a core 
signing someone, trading and signing to get someone on your core um, moving forward. And to me, it felt a little premature then, and it certainly feels premature now. Like you need to, you need to get young. Um, and I feel like, especially after everything we learned in the last off season, Tom, give me one more year to sell off, and then hopefully, hopefully, there's enough positive signs where. You know, this team misses the playoffs for another year or two and gets a couple picks, but more importantly, the young kids develop and you develop from within and you don't have to look for an Artemi Panarin in free agency every couple of years and try to figure out how to fit as many 11 million contracts on the book as possible. I mean, just look at what the Devils did. If, if say they sell off oh Taylor God, Hall... Is there, is, there a better, yeah, is there a better cautionary... T- tail in terms of an offseason than the Devils offseason? Wayne Simmons, P.K. Subban. Subban especially. Jesus H. Christ. Gustav's a move that's worked and I stand behind. Um, yeah. He's played well. It's a good deal. But, you know, swinging for the fences with the P.K. Subban trade was I think is already proving to be a like some people are saying like Nashville had a, you know, Montreal had a right with the trade with, with Weber. Um, it's because Subban's game has fallen off that much, but goodness gracious, the Devils are just in such a rough spot. Um, I mean, I don't, you think about what they have at center with with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. It's like, well, how rough can things be? But for a team that doesn't like opening up its, uh, its purse strings, Tom, it's, it's tough to have that going on. But, uh, yeah. They're a munchkin right now. There's stuff in the middle, but around that... Your guess is as good as mine. Your guess is as good as mine. Is that our show, Tom? An hour and 20? We we actually have one more question that actually came in while we were recording, so they literally just got it in under the wire. Ugh. It's from Andy, who has a picture of a dog as their, their Twitter picture. All right, I'm going to pep up then. Andy deserves better effort from me. And it's just a good, it's a two-parter. It's the, in, in the sense that they took two tweets to get this in. Two-parter, it makes me mad. With the rumor mill picking up and given the ostensible upside of this year's draft, would you rather see the Rangers A. Sell the farm, Gorgiev, ADA, Foss, Strom, Krides for picks and prospects, B. Sell Kreider for a first and try to move into the top five, or C. Go after NHL-ready wingers with the understanding that this draft is not the end-all, be-all it's being touted as. There are other options I could put on here, but I have to get back to lesson planning. Well, thank you for your question, and good luck with your lesson planning. Shaping the minds of tomorrow's leaders. So... I believe the children are the future, Tom. Teach them well, and they will lead the way. And they will lead the way. So, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, I would think that if you're trading Kreider for a first, you're attempting to take that first rounder wherever the Rangers ultimately fall and putting together a package to move into the top five. Um, so, I'm, I don't know. This draft, and again, like it's being touted as one of the deepest drafts since the 2003 draft, which had a lot of players who... You know, Ryan Getzloff, Zach What did the Rangers do in that draft, Tom? Hmm? What did the Rangers do in that draft? I forget. Uh, Hugh Jessamine, big specimen. Oh, yeah, that's what they did, Tom. That's what they fucking did. 
And then after that, I think the 2010 draft was a really good draft. You had like Vladimir Tarasenko, Evgeny oh, Kuznetsov. A fellow by the name of Dylan McElrath. Uh, that's right. That's right. But yeah, um, I don't know if you'd be able to trade into the top five. I think that realistically... Think anyone's going to want to give up their top five pick this year. And, and I think if you can get within the top ten, you're going to end up in good shape. Um, which the Rangers may end up on their own accord. But my choice would be I'm selling the farm. I'm getting as much as I can for players that are not a part of the team's future because, if anything, I'm getting assets that I can then use to bundle with other things in the offseason. So I'm I'm going to uh, go for A, sell the farm. Yeah, I'm selling everything that's not nailed down. Um, like I, uh, I sell everything, even if like, oh, you know what? I know I've said in the past, like, yeah, sign Strom to a one-year deal as a placeholder. If there's a good deal for Ryan Strom, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, and then sign, you know, a David Dangarnay to give uh, Filipino some some security next year if that's what you need to do. Honestly, like that is what I think is the most logical path to take is you need those picks. You need to build the young player pool in this organization, specifically the forwards that we use as we have gone over again and again and again. And uh, I say sell it all. It's interesting to think of going for, uh, you know, quality over quantity and being like, let's just do whatever we can. Maybe we package Kreider, but here's the thing. It just, no, like the timing of all that is too risky. The deadline when everyone's value is high, sell, sell them, sell them, sell them. Yeah, because there may be a, a in in that selling the farm, there might be a trade that exists where you're getting back an NHL player. Like hypothetically, if it's a Gorgiev to the Sharks for a Kevin LeBanc, like that helps you now and in the future. So there's the potential to make a myriad out of trades that help you today, tomorrow, and way down in the future. So yeah, sell the farm. Sell it. Sell the farm. All the cattle. Pa's old milk machine. The sheep. The pigs. Babe, big pig in the city. Sell it all. But keep the outhouse because you never know when the uh, the indoor toilet can leak water. So you need to have a plan B. You never goddamn know. Joe and I had a long talk about outhouses on a podcast recently. It was a, it's a question I had, Tom, was... You want the outhouse close, right? Because you have to take a... Sh- that's what it's for. It's supposed to be close, but you don't want it too close. And you also definitely want the outhouse downhill from wherever you are. Yeah, because you don't want the wind to pick up the fumes and also, throw yeah, it in your general direction. The groundwater, all these things. But the other thing is uh Like, there's got to be a standard, right? Some hillbilly standard for how far away the outhouse should be. One of those things, I'm sure is known to a different generation than ours is how far away you want your poop hole and with that we thank you for listening to our misguided and uh you know what Tom we we try we hustle on this podcast we do our best but thank you all for listening uh looking forward to what should really be a really entertaining and spicy couple of weeks leading up to deadline Tom uh we're gonna learn 
a lot about the Rangers' plans, I think, because remember last year, a lot of the trades happened before the deadline proper, folks. So, like, a lot of teams like to just get things done, especially if they have a deal they can live with, they're happy with. They'll pull the trigger. Uh, and we've seen the Rangers do it in recent years, too, right? So, it's a date that everyone has circled on the calendar, but things can happen well before then. So, we'll see what happens. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.